Well, I'm glad you're all, uh, you know, staying as safe as you can. Um, you know, sending, uh, sending the, the fists in the air for, you know, our, <laughs> our fellow, uh, digital content creators. So, um, you know, let's, let's get into our remote show because we've got some big stories to break down. Um, so I guess I'll start with the first one. Um, and, you know, we'll take a few pauses to unpack everyone's thoughts on this, but it's kind of hard to not do COVID-19 content on the show or else it kind of feels like we're avoiding what is going on (laughs) all around us. So we're going to start off by doing kind of a deep dive breakdown, a COVID-19 update and looking at um, some of the current stats, some of the conversation around reopening the economy and, um, you know, taking a brief look at some of the workers that have been working in a reopened economy this entire time. Uh, so let's start here. The scope of the virus uh, and its effect on people and its effect on the economy are still kind of hard to quantify. Um, there's a lack of universal testing. So it's really hard to know whether or not um, the numbers match up, right? Because we don't really know who's even sick. We're just telling folks to stay at home and hoping that that curbs um, the cases that we are confirming once people are being admitted to the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also going to be feeling the economic impacts for several months and years. So it's kind of hard to immediately quantify, even with the millions of unemployed uh, workers out there now, you know, uh, reaching new unemployment heights for the whole country setting records <laughs> you know uh, h- horrible records but whatever yeah. um <laughs> that is uh you know uh, basically making it a little difficult to look into the um looking glass into the crystal ball however there are some small bits of news that reveal more about the situation every day and we're approaching a pivotal next step as government officials and business owners start to look at the flattening curve and ask, when do we reopen the economy? So at um, USCLA in Los Angeles County, the Department of Public Health has been working with the university to conduct antibody tests to get a better sense of the reach of COVID-19. And uh, this is from their uh, press release, quote, preliminary results from a collaborative scientific study suggests infections from the new coronavirus are far, uh, far more widespread and the fatality rate much lower in L.A. County than previously thought. Uh, so they're saying about 4.1% of the county's adult population has uh, an antibody to the virus, which means anywhere from 220,000 to 440,000 adults uh, had the virus, which is t- anywhere from 28 to 55 times higher than the confirmed cases in the county by the time this was released in April. Um and that shows a major disparity in the um, fatality rate. Mm. So if there are more people being infected but not dying or maybe even not, in, uh, not even showing symptoms or uh, very mild symptoms, then that rate is naturally going to get lower. Uh, this is another quote from the study. Quote, results indicate that many persons may have been unknowingly infected and at risk of transmitting the virus to others. That was said by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, director of the L.A. County Department of Public Health. And this is another quote that stood out to me on this. Quote, though the results indicate a lower risk of death among those with infection than was previously thought, the number of COVID-related deaths each day continues to mount, highlighting the need for continued vigorous prevention and control efforts. And that was said by uh, Dr. Paul Simon, chief science officer at L.A. County Department of Public Health and co-lead on the study. So, you know, those numbers, I guess, 
on one end could be seen as optimistic because the rate is lowering. Uh, however, I think it could potentially be ammunition for um, basically trying to uh, headbutt our way through this virus. And because it seems like so many more people are infected and transmitting it unknowingly, um, there is still major risk for immunocompromised and at-risk demographics. What are y'all's thoughts on, on hearing all that? Well, I think that um, I, I think one of the things that um, stands out about this is what you mentioned at the beginning, right? That there has not been universal testing. So, um, so when they say the rate might be lower than than what might be anticipated, okay, yeah, that that's fine. But also, we're not we aren't able to count uh, people that have died during this time that don't have a positive test amongst that number either right so can't it also go both ways um that 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 if somebody has passed away kind of during this time um of COVID 19 uh without a positive test though they're they're not being counted in the numbers either so part part of me thinks that the lack of testing just makes all of this so murky that it's all just somewhat guesswork and everybody's Mm -hmm. kind of taking the bits and pieces of data that they have and trying to extrapolate that out into a larger picture when really I, i I don't know. I, I don't know how possible, feasible that is, um, and feels kind of like a fool's errand until we're able to actually get, you know, full reliable testing for a much larger portion of the population. And I think that that is the biggest thing that stands out to me is that you know we can talk about this, and one side of the of the debate is going to use this as fuel to to reopen the you know to try to reopen the economy, and a- another side is going to look at this and say there are just too many unknowns and it's it's very interesting to me how politicized the debate became very very mm-hmm. quickly it does yeah. seem like a lot of the information is very anecdotal you know um, xyz happened in this area so we're just going to kind of use that as a blanket statement for how we can anticipate how everyone's going to react or how all areas are going to react and um, it just seems like we, we kind of get a lot of data from bite-sized chunks of the population and like you said try to extrapolate from that and I, I think that that's kind of uh, uh, made it tough for us to get a really good bead on you know what, what are we looking at in any given area and what are we looking at as you know the country and the world as a whole for sure and you know I think uh, I think this is really just an example of how the data can be really just interpreted to land at any conclusion. So, Tyler, like you said, that data could see that and then use that to justify we need to keep the economy on lockdown, we need to support working families, make sure people can you know survive and not starve by not going to work because clearly there's more people infected uh, than not than um, you know than we previously estimated. However, you can also look at that data and say, hey, the death rate is way lower than we thought. This is a uh, you know minor risk. Let's start slowly reopening the economy and powering through this. Um, and I think that's the pivotal point we're at. We're at that tipping point um, in uh, Georgia, Governor Kemp is starting to um, reopen uh, much of the economy. I believe uh, beaches are already completely reopened. Um, 
and businesses are going to start to reopen next week or by the end of the week, something like that. I mean, it's, it, it's like ASAP. We're starting to see Georgia basically kick back into um, nth gear, like I said. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, in, in Texas, they're starting to do retail to go, which not entirely right. sure how that's going to work. You know, if I need some pants from the Gap, you know, do I just order <laughs> ahead and go pick up my pants? I, I honestly, you know, si- similar to how restaurants have been operating, um, but yeah, I know Texas is trying to roll out and reopen the economy, and we've had some very interesting quotes from politicians in Texas. So, um, you know, like a Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick saying, "There's there's more important things than than living," which is interesting. It's not much that's <laughs> going to be important to you if you are not living. Um, but you know, the, the debate has has become uh, very very interesting. Just as each side kind of uh, picks the the stats that support their argument the best, you know, and uh, and it feels like we aren't having good faith arguments about this or, or debates or, or even conversations. Yeah. Well, businesses are reacting uh, regardless to some of the action that governors and um, federal leaders are now taking, uh, whether that's a direct reopening of the economy or at least a signaling that, you know, hey, we got to start getting things moving along. So some major corporations um, are, you know, finding ways to get their operations back to some kind of uh, normal level. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no singular roadmap for what that looks like. So, for example, um, Pepsi and they're bottling, excuse me, they're bottling plants in New York. They're giving factory workers surgical masks and checking their temperatures at the door mm-hmm. uh, as they come in to, you know, get operations back um, on track. Rival Coca-Cola, their bottler has given employees thermometers to monitor themselves. They've given them some red bandanas, which, you know, hashtag branding as yeah. face covers at work. Um, some companies are requiring face masks and other PPE. Um, there have been suggestions of health screenings at the door, just kind of um, at at scale, testings of employees before they're allowed to come to work. But there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, haziness around whether or not administration can launch something like that at scale and whether or not all employees even want to consent to the test because you can't force, you know, uh, to stick something up their nose uh, if they don't want to take the... COVID-19 tests. So, you know, there's there's a lot of little interpersonal challenges with that as well. Major car makers are preparing to reopen their factories in the next few weeks. That includes GM, Toyota, Ford. They've all signaled they want to do that. And in China, uh, the way that they've been, um, I guess, trying to revitalize the economy and also prevent the spread is uh, they've launched temperature checkpoints and employee health screenings at most business locations. So, most of the ideas that we've been having here in the States, I think, have come from what has worked in um, the last major epicenter, China. Um, well, the last major epicenter to start to recover. So, uh, you know, I, I guess now we're in that point where companies are going to have to start making those judgment calls. And it feels rather precarious because the data is still so limited. And even the limited data we are getting still it has so many discrepancies. I mean, it could be anywhere from 220,000 to 440,000 infected adults. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. a staggering difference there, right? So even the data we're getting is not super precise. Um, and it it just, you know, creates some worry, I think, of what's going to happen as we start to reopen this if we're still kind of unsure as a nation what the major scope of this virus is. Uh, so that's that's where I'm at with this. 
Yeah. I think it's interesting to see maybe what we uh, kind of walk away with too as, uh, you know, some of the lessons that I think we learned during this entire um, ordeal, you know, sp specifically with companies who have probably actually saved a lot of overhead on, um, you know, having employees working from home, things like that. I, I, I'm thinking that there are going to be, um, you know, even some just lasting changes in how we operate because, you know, we've kind of been put into this uh, situation. So I want to see how we come out of the other side of this and maybe the lessons that we learned and some of the ways that that's going to affect how we move forward. Yeah, to Taylor's point, I, I'm I'm interested in that as well. And in just about every podcast conversation that I've I've had at Market Scale, just with various clients and other people that are you know uh, thinking through, okay, how does business work after this? A lot of the conversation ends up you know being about how does business look different after this is over? You know, do mm -hmm. businesses lower overhead by reducing office space and you know having more remote workers? What does that do for IT companies and you know cloud computing? Uh, providers, you know, who who enable work from home type solutions and, and things like that. So how does this all look drastically different after this is over? And you, you have to think that this is, you know, that we're living through one of the, the seminal moments of our lifetimes. Um, and, and maybe that's short-sighted, maybe everything go, goes back to normal in six months mm -hmm. and we don't ever talk about this again, but it really doesn't feel like that's <laughs> the case. It really feels like this is going to be, um, you know, a big, big, uh, moment uh, in time that really shifts what the next 30, 40, 50 years looks like, you know, similar to the ways that uh, that other large events throughout history have kind of uh, shaped the next, you know, the next several generations just because of the impacts of this. So whether it's, you know, fewer restaurants, uh, fewer uh, retail establishments, th things like that, you know, just what exactly things look like once this is all over. Yeah. And, you know, the last point I want to bring up uh, before we move on to the next story, um, you know, the the economy has already been reopened for many uh, working class folks. Um, it's it's not like everyone has the ability to work from home, obviously. And mm -hmm. there are some companies that are actually seeing a growth in business and in their workforce during the pandemic and that would be a lot of our e-commerce giants including you know the the monolith themselves good old amazon they are mm -hmm. at, at the top of that chain and they are actually absorbing a lot of the workforce and a lot of business from the small businesses that have been closing um across main street america and since federal and state guidelines are such a mixed bag the door remains open for major corporations that don't have the best track record on uh, these kinds of safety and compliance measures to uh, you know, avoid disrupting their supply chain as much as possible, especially if the situation presents an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this with Amazon. And I just think it's important to highlight you know, the disparities of uh, what's going on during this pandemic we see with amazon workers continuing to express a lack of safety measures in their fulfillment centers uh, insufficient paid leave and general slow action to outbreaks within their facilities so mm -hmm. uh, this week amazon warehouse workers launched their largest protest against these actions we've seen since the outbreak about 350 employees across 50 different warehouses um and yeah, it was the, the largest one since the protest began. Uh, and I think it just really showcases that there is pressure now being placed on um, on companies that aren't acting uh, because, you know, folks have their best interest and each other's best interest in mind. So if they're having to go into work every single day, but they're also hearing from their governors or their leaders or the CDC and the WHO that, 
you know, you need X, Y, Z thing to be safe. You, you know, you need to be staying at home. And then they're, uh, you know, working 12 hour shifts uh, with no protection um, at a fulfillment center passing by, you know, dozens of other people and everyone potentially could be getting sick. Uh, you know, I think that starts to put pressure on folks to keep themselves and their families and their coworkers in mind. So I think there's a lot of uh, unity happening there um, within warehouse workers, not just in Amazon, but in other vulnerable sectors. And, um, you know, couple this with, um, there was a singular employee's name was Chris Smalls. He was a JFK eight. That's the name of the warehouse out of New York. Um, he was fired after he raised concerns that he was infected, but being forced to come into work to stay financially afloat and potentially he was infecting his coworkers. Amazon said he was fired because he was putting them at risk. He said, no, well, I was trying to tell Amazon that they were putting others at risk by having me come back to work. So, you know, conflicting information there. But I I tend to lean towards Chris because of other context, including that uh, there was some kind of leaked meeting information from Amazon execs, including Mr. Bezos himself, saying they wanted to use Smalls kind of as a scapegoat against the organization and more specifically the union efforts, uh, citing, quote, he was not smart and articulate, and that might deflate the momentum. And so, mm-hmm. you know, y- you start to see some of this um, unsavory uh, monolith uh, organizing against um, worker power during a crisis like this. And it really gets you questioning, where are these companies' priorities? And mm-hmm. I know this is not blanket for every single company, but when you have something as huge as Amazon acting this way during the crisis and treating their worker safety in this way, I think it really uh, should raise questions of, um, you know, should we be reopening the economy when we have companies that have stayed open during this crisis and uh, people are dying, people are getting sick, and employees are not safe. And what is there to say that reopening the economy is going to keep those people safe when the folks that are already working aren't? So um, that's uh, you know that's where my head's at with all this. It's uh, it's such a mixed bag, but I think there's a lot of valid concern still and a lot of valid pressure that needs to be put on um, folks that represent us, whether that's the companies we work for or mm-hmm. um, the governments that represent us. So. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. The The other thing I'm going to watch real, real quick is the push and pull and that battle that takes place between municipalities, local government, you know. Um, so the uh, Dallas County said they were extending the stay-at-home order. I think the state of Texas and Greg Abbott is going to try to supersede that and say that uh, things need to reopen sooner. So uh, I will be interested in watching that policy battle and how that plays mm. out in the world of business as well. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. This was a snippet from Business Casual with Daniel Litwin and Tyler Kern, your B2B morning radio show. Tune in Wednesdays and Fridays at 9 a.m. Central on the Simple Radio app or marketscale.com slash industries.